Happy Sunday. Good to see your faces. As James said, my name is Mark Speeder. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you're newer here, uh, the heartbeat of our church is that we are a people with a passion for Jesus and his purposes in the earth. And simply that looks like we want to be people that love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We want to love people like Jesus does. And we believe that out of this church in this house, God wants to multiply the life of Jesus in you and in this church to impact the world around us, whether it's in our workplace, our neighborhood, or whether that's also sending missionaries or planting churches around the world. We believe God has some great things for this church, is doing that and going to continue. In fact, I want to invite you again, next Sunday will be significant for us as a church if, uh, as we share how we're moving into some of those things this next season and some important updates are there. So again, I want to second that. Come on and be here. Well, we are in the book of Philippians. Any fans of the book of Philippians? It's a good time. It is a book. One of the themes of Philippians is joy. And so we are inviting all of us to remember uh, and memorize a verse throughout our time in Philippians. All right? Now, it's a relatively easy one. Philippians 4.4, here by the end of this, we won't have to put it on the screen because we'll all have memorized it and been to church many times. Uh, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Oh, again, I will say rejoice. Let's say it one more time. Say it out loud for all the ears and here to hear. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That is right. So that is one of the heartbeat kind of scriptures of the book of Philippians, and we want to not only get it in our hearts and our minds, but in our lives. And so uh, Paul's inviting us to choose to rejoice. All right, well, um, as I said a couple weeks ago, it is summertime. And one of the things that means for parents and families is that we get to make lots of fun plans for our kids that they will whine about and fight us about all the way there until having a fun time. Now, I know that never happens to us because I'm a pastor. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm speaking from experience here, right? If you're a parent, you know this battle, like going to the beach, right? You got a fun day planned. You got it all lined out. You might even go somewhere fun to eat there. And then you tell them that morning, you, you're just waiting for them to say, Wow, thanks, Mom, or thanks, Dad. You're so thoughtful. I'm so blessed that you took some time and thought through the day for me and made some plans. I'm actually going to go thank Jesus for that. You, you just expect them to do that, but instead they say, I don't want to go. Fine, I'll go, but I'm not going in the water, right? It's too far. It's 25 minutes. It's not that far, right? It's too hot. No, it's actually cold out, right? Uh, on the way, they're griping about putting sunscreen on. I don't want to put sunscreen on. Last time the sunscreen got in my eyes. Sunscreen kills my eyes. I don't know what we're going to do. Now we packed half the house in the car. We've got tents. We've got umbrellas. We've got toys. We've got shovels. We've got three things of sunscreen. We've got snacks, right? We packed half the house in the car. And I am thinking, we're never doing this again. And then somehow the next week, we do it again, right? It's not, it's not easy to drag kids along with you 
when you're trying to have fun. I don't know why that is. But we can see as parents what they don't. You see, we can see that if they will just let go of their attitudes and let go of their own ideas of the things that, weren't gonna, that they were going to do that weren't as great, if they just let it go and trust us a little bit, they're going to have a great time. And that's what inevitably happens every time. We get there, and the kid who's like, I'm not going to go in the water is like, I'm going to go in the water. Dad, come with me. This is the best day ever, right? Like, it happens every time without fail. They have a blast as they learn to trust us. They have a blast as they get through the sunscreen application process and let go of their attitudes. They have a blast but they've got to surrender their temporary discomfort to experience the life of the plans that we made for them. Now, you might be able to see where I'm going. The kingdom of God has some similarities, right? You see, God designed it that when we learn to trust him, because the Bible said he, he has plans for us, and when we learn to trust him, which means letting go of our control, letting go of our own plans, and oftentimes our wrong attitudes, there is joy on the other side of our surrender. You see, our joy is directly connected to the extent that we're willing to let go of our lives. It's kind of a backward paradigm. But you see, the world we live in has a different message than that. Oftentimes, the world would say, joy comes by being true to yourself and every desire in your own heart. Now, listen, I'm, a, I'm for self-care. I'm for being self-aware. I'm for being integrous to what we're thinking and feeling. So I'm not against that, right? But the world around us often says, you can be what you want to be, do what you want to do, and you can do it when you want to do it, and you'll be joyful. But the reality is, right, that's not often kind of what we see around us. You see, it says uh, that when you deny your desires and every craving that you have, then you're suppressing yourself, and you're being oppressed and denying yourself, and there's no way to be joyful. Again, it's not often working out. But in the kingdom of God, you see, we have a savior who came and he gave up his life so that we could have life. And he makes an invitation for us throughout the gospels where we see the teachings of Jesus to surrender our lives from living just for ourselves so that others can experience life. And he says that there is a joy, if we'll follow him in that, that supersedes our circumstances, that supersedes our own desires and whether or not they all get met or not. You see, Jesus said this, he who seeks to save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Now that is an upside down teaching from how we often see the world because we live in a kingdom of God, our creator, who 
created a, a, a kingdom that seems upside down for us. You see, there is joy on the other side of our surrender. And we don't serve a God just of death, of the death of our surrender. We serve a God of resurrection. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. And Jesus said in John 10, 10, he said, I came that you may have life and life more abundantly. So when he said, I've called you to take up your cross and lay down your life, he also promises, no, but I also, in that, I came to give you life. There's joy on the other side of our surrender, you see, because our joy is directly connected to our willingness to surrender to him. And we see that in Paul's life. Now, Paul is the author of the book of Philippians, right? God used Paul to write this book to the church in Philippi. And we're going to continue reading the rest of chapter 1 as we just sequentially go through Philippians, starting in verse 19 to the rest of chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, I'm sorry, not through the rest of chapter 1, through verse 26. If you have your Bibles or your iBibles, or just your eyes, and you want to look on the screen. Here we go. He said this at the end of 18. He says, and yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the, uh, sorry, and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. For I am to live, if I am to live in, sorry, having trouble reading today. Verse 21, we'll pick it up there. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So what's happening here? If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know that Paul is actually in prison or house arrest in Rome. And he's, he's writing to this church in Philippi where he also experienced persecution because he loves this church. And here he, he's wrestling because he doesn't know whether he's going to live or not. He doesn't know whether he'll make it ever out of house arrest or be put to death in Rome or he'll live again and see them again. And as he's wrestling through the uncertainty, I mean, just put yourself in Paul's shoes. Like, you don't know whether you're going to die or whether you're going to live. You don't know whether you're going to make it, right, through the month. And you're totally out of control in house arrest. Here's Paul writing the book of joy. He's filled with joy in the face of possible death and uncertainty. Now, give me some of that joy. You know what I'm saying? So Paul is saying here, I don't, have con I don't need to have control over my life, and I don't need to have control over my outcomes to find joy, because I believe Paul is essentially saying here, I have the most joy when God is in control of my life and not me. 
In the core passage here, we see verse 21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So I actually want to start talking from that point. I actually want to start talking from to die is gain. Verse 21, dying is gain. Now again, Paul here is not talking about some metaphorical death, nor is he glorifying some concept of death. He's facing the possibility of actual death, right? And what he's saying is, if I don't make it out of here and I die, it's actually to my advantage. Say what, Paul, right? If I don't make it out of here and I die, it's to my advantage. Now, we often say that flippantly, right? We're like, you know, we have a moment with God, and we say, God, I'll do anything for you. God, I'll go anywhere for you. I will give up anything for you. And then we try to go to Chick-fil-A on a Sunday, and it's closed, and we cry, right? And we're like, Lord, life is so hard. You didn't open Chick-fil-A on a Sunday, right? But Paul is not saying it flippantly here, right? And we know that because examples in Scripture, in fact, when he started the church in Philippi, he experienced much trouble and persecution. Paul knows what it's like to face, this is not his first rodeo facing death. On top of that, right before he's in prison in Rome in Acts, I believe 27, he is on a ship about to die and he steps up and leads and calls people to have faith in God. Paul knows what it's like to taste death. And in his trials, what has happened in Paul is that as Paul faced death, he found freedom over the fear of death through trusting in the one who died for us. And we see that so beautifully written by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Again, Paul is writing Philippians, and we see Paul working this kind of theology. We see Paul's heart here in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, for the imperishable body must, be put, must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable, talking about our physical body, puts on the imperishable, talking about eternity, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying which is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. Now, I love this passage right here. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Paul is saying, when I face death, and when I face a world which is decaying and broken and hurting and divided and eventually face my own death, he says, where's your sting anymore? Because I'm not afraid of it anymore. Paul is saying, I no longer fear death in this world or my ultimate death at the end of my life. And that brings up a question for us. Do we fear death? Do you fear death? Can you say to die is gain? Whenever God takes my life, it'll truly be to my gain. I'll truly get a promotion at that point. You see, we, we often struggle with that, obviously, first, because the people we love, as a, as a dad, I'm like, Lord, don't take me soon, because I got kids to raise and kids to love, right? So we, we struggle with that, but we also often struggle with death because we don't know what is on the other side of that door. 
right? I think I said this maybe on Easter, but often when we think of heaven and the pictures we've seen in cheesy Christian movies or shows or something like that, it's like, it's like there's a fog machine. You can't see people's feet because there's like fog up to their knees and people have these cheesy wings that they bought at the dollar store or something from a Halloween store and, and people are like disembodied spirits floating around in the fog, right? And we're playing harps. And so if that's heaven, like, don't send me, Lord. I'll be here on earth. I'm enjoying the little kingdom here on earth, all right? Uh, but, but really, what does Scripture say is on the other side of that door? I want to remind us scripturally, and I've done this before with us, and I want to keep doing this because Scripture invites us to remember what's coming again and again and again because our ultimate hope is in him and eternity, in the midst of a broken world. You see, in heaven, there'll be no more death. There'll be no more tears. Jesus' glory will be what gives us light. We'll see his face. We'll have resurrected bodies. We'll have trees. We'll have water. We'll have life. We'll eat and drink. We'll sit with, the nation, with believers from the nations of the earth at a table and eat and drink with them, right? Jesus is preparing room for us. We'll plant vineyards. We'll have meaningful work. Praise the Lord. For those of you who are struggling in your jobs, you'll have work where you're not toiling all day long, right? And we will rest, right? I could say so much more, but heaven is truly an upgrade, and ultimately we'll see him face to face. And not only that, is that we will be rewarded with crowns for the ways we've chosen to sacrifice for Jesus on this earth. Here's a list of just a few of the crowns, the crown of life, the incorruptible crown, right, for those who are running the race that God has and, and saying yes and obeying and surrendering our own lives. If you surrender your life to take up Jesus' calling in you, you will receive an incorruptible crown when you see him. I don't know what that is, but it sounds awesome, right? The crown of rejoicing, the crown of glory, the crown of righteousness, these are better than promotions at work. When we understand what's on the other side of the door, it doesn't mean there's not real pains in death. It doesn't mean that there's not real grieving in death because it's not just like, praise the Lord, you know. There's pain in death, but we can also have an even deeper joy when we know what's on the other side of the door. You see, this life is a short blip on the screen until eternity and we are going to behold him face to face. And the pain and the division and the frustration and the politics and the family members and the whatever it is, it'll be resolved and we'll be one in him and healed and whole with whole bodies and whole hearts and healed minds with him, loving him forever. You see, if we are... Jesus' followers, this life is the worst it's going to get because we're going to be with him one day. Now, if you've been at a point where you've ever faced death, it puts life into a little more perspective, right? If you ever had that moment where you've almost had a car accident, you might have pulled over afterwards and said, Lord, I'll serve you forever. Just tell me where to go now, you know? Right, when you've experienced death face to face, your life on this earth has perspective. And that's where Paul is writing from. He's faced death numerous times, 
And now we get to see Paul saying, okay, well, maybe I'm not going to die, but if I'm going to live, I'm going to have a purpose in living. So what is Paul's purpose in living? I want to look at three simple purposes that we see from our scriptures right here. His first purpose of living was exalting Christ, verse 20. He said, if, I, if I'm alive, I'm going to live that Christ will be glorified in my body by life or by death. Paul is saying, if I'm alive, my life isn't, isn't to create my own glory and be great. My purpose is to make his name great. And we see that reflected in Paul. Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians when he said, and if Jesus died for all, then those that receive him might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So Paul said, no matter what happens, Jesus is at the center, and I'm not living for my glory, but I'm living for his. Second thing we learn about Paul's purpose in living, he said, if I'm alive, I'm going to have fruitful labor. Life is short. I'm going to work hard for the glory of God to bring souls to him and to bring people to him and love the, love the hurting, love the broken, do the work of justice, do the work of disciple making, do the work of being in a church community and, and, and do what he called. He said, if I go on, it will mean fruitful labor for me. Paul is saying, if I'm alive, I'm going to focus on what God's called me to and give my whole heart to him and that purpose. And lastly, what is Paul's purpose in living? It's for the joy of others. Verse 25, Paul said, I will continue being on earth for your joy and your progress in the faith. Paul is not saying, if I continue on earth, I can't wait to make plans for my joy. But Paul is saying, I'm gonna find joy in being here to advance your joy and your progress in the faith. And so the big idea here is that Paul is saying, if I die, it's gonna to be to my gain, it's a promotion, but if I stay on earth, I'm gonna to choose to lay down my life so that others may find life and joy. So what are we living for, church? I've had to pray a lot. This last couple of weeks have been a lot of praying I've had to do because these messages. What are we living for? What would happen, guys, if, if we as a church and all of us individually and those of you who are families and couples or as well as singles, if all of us were to say, okay, what if my life to live is the glory of God and the joy of others? For to me to live is the glory of God and the joy of others. What if all of us said that? What would happen in our workplaces? What would happen in our divided families? What would happen in airplanes when we're stuck next to someone? What would happen, right, on our social media engagement and platforms? If to live is the glory of God and the joy of others. Do you believe, church, that if you are living here and not dead yet, you have a purpose? I believe so. If you're breathing here and you're not dead yet, you have a purpose. And the invitation from Paul is to live is Christ and the joy 
of others. And I want you to believe that God wants to move through you today. God wants to move through you tomorrow. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you, church. That's what Paul said. God wants to move through you. You're not just here passing time, making money. You're not just here plowing through life, just hoping to get to the end of it one day. You're here for a purpose. But you see, the reality is at least what happens to me, and I know some of you can feel this too, all of life pulls you away from the glory of God and the joy of others. All of life pulls you to just making it. All of life pulls you to just staying alive. All of life pulls you to just making ends meet to pay the bills, right? All of life pulls that way. And what happens is when we hang on to our own lives and our own pleasures, we start living in a counterfeit mission here on earth. And what starts happening of our lives, even though we don't get there by bad intentions, for to us to live is to make money. To live is to succeed in my career. To live is to have people like me. To live is to perfect my hobbies. To live is to have great vacations. Now these aren't bad. Have a great vacation. I'm praying for it. We're gonna have one too, right? But to live a counterfeit mission, to live is to buy new stuff. To live is to have new technology. To live is to have experiences. To live, for some of us, is just to make it. Now, the thing about these counter, counterfeit missions is they have noble intentions and noble purposes because in a crazy life, we are just often trying to make it. <clears throat> And there are good reasons that we often give good things, not God things, all of our hearts and not God himself who has a plan in the midst of our crazy lives. The temptation is real. I know it's been real for us, my wife and I, this last few years, being a pastor, leading a church together, it's not been easy. It's not easy to be a pastor right now. There's been plenty of times we've been tempted to take back our surrender and say, God, why have you placed us leading people in the midst of political division, in the midst of a crazy world, in the midst of COVID? We'll just go get some land and just not see people for a few years, right? Now, we love y'all. We're not going anywhere. But it's been tempting. It's been tempting, right? People have said, oh, have you thought about this career? You do great at it. Been initiated with by a cool, big church. Have you considered being our lead pastor? Da-da-da. Y'all are cool, too. We're cool. We're not going anywhere. But there's been temptations to the left and the right to take back our surrender. And the thing God has called us to, to go in a counterfeit mission of escaping the world's problems or having some worldly idea of success. But man, what we've come back to again and again is Jesus. We love you. And our joy is you, Jesus. And our joy, by the way, 
is also leading you guys. We have the privilege of being a part of this body. And we are joyfully doing what God has called us to here in this earth and here in Fullerton. And it's our joy and privilege. It doesn't mean it's not been painful. It doesn't mean it hasn't taken a toll. But where we find joy is not taking every cool opportunity that comes our way. It's in surrendering our will and our pains and our fears and our anxieties and saying, God, let's do what you want to do. And when you find that place, there's joy. You see, what we find is that counterfeit missions although they look great and are often spiritual. I'm going to be spiritually successful. Counterfeit missions produce counterfeit joy. Just as soon as those missions can come and go, so can your joy come and go. If you've gone around the sun a few times, you've known, you've tried it. You've tried to put all your joy and all your hope in that thing or that bank account or that person, and they've let you down because they're not God. And you've had to come back to that place of surrender and say, God, that was painful, and that was a painful lesson, but ultimately I can only trust you. You see, God, I believe, wants you to be joyful. God wants you to find joy. But one of the greatest threats to finding joy is living for ourselves. And living mission in our life that is good, but not the ultimate God thing. So I want to look now, why, why is Paul motivated into joy? And what is his, sorry, what is his secret to finding this kind of joy? Verse 23 and 24. He said this, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. What's happening here? Paul is having a moment of surrender. He's saying, am I to be honest? I'd rather just go be with Jesus, because this world is hard. Paul is saying, God, I know what I want, and you know what I want. But he's saying, God, I'm going to put this down, and I'm going to ask you, what, what do you want, God? What do you want? What's best in your mind, God? And Paul surrendered his will. He surrendered his longings. He surrendered his desires and his purpose to God. And this is what we see in Jesus. We see in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, Father, not my will, this is what I want. If it's your will, God, take this cup from me. I don't want to go to the cross. I know, I've known for all of eternity, this is the plan, but I'm going to be honest right now because I love about God is that he still honors our emotions and we can be emotionally healthy in the midst of surrendering them to God. He doesn't just throw them away. He, Jesus said, I don't want to go to the cross. If, if you got a plan B, let's do it, Father. But he said, but ultimately, where I'm landing, Father, is not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus gave his life so that you and I may have life and resurrection. And what he advises us to do is to do the same. He said this 
in Mark 8. He called the crowd along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses life will save it. You see, we'll all face death and we'll all face heartache and we all face a choice. And you see, in Scripture, Surrender, being fully surrendered to God is not the optional 201 Christian plan. It's not like most Christians, they're just going to live like good American Christians with like good values. And then the elite will surrender their lives to Jesus. No, no, no. Like the 101 Christian plan is to, to, to get saved by God and then lay our lives down and surrender our wills and surrender outcomes, and surrender our longs, and surrender our fears to him who saved us. Like that's 101 plan. And that's not my idea or Antioch's, that's that's Jesus saying that. And what happens, I've said, and why God invites us to do that is because surrender is the way we move from our strength to his strength. Surrender is a way we move from manufactured joy to real joy. Surrender is a way we move from my messed up selfish plans to his plans, which often don't make sense but end up better in the long run. Surrender is how I move from being far from God to being intimately close with God. Surrender is the doorway. And joy is on the other side of surrender. We're re-upping. We do, we've done family devotionals as a family for years, doing, you know, connecting with Jesus together, but we're kind of upping and just helping our kids have their own time with Jesus. So we're doing a full deal this summer. We're all spending time with Jesus. So the first two, three weeks, we're doing it all together. We're showing them how it's done in one room. And then we'll send them off to their own rooms to spend their own time with Jesus. We make it simple, um, you know, worshiping God. And what we're doing is um, we're in Scripture, but then we're also looking up to the Father to connect to God. We're looking out in prayer to pray for others around us. We're also looking in to pray for ourselves. And what we're doing as a family, and this is what I do in my own time with God, I take time to pray over myself every day. And what we're doing is how we're modeling it to our kids is we pray over our mind. God, I, I surrender my mind to you. Fill me with your thoughts, not mine. God, I surrender my eyes to you today. I'm not gonna look at things that are ungodly or impure, but I'm gonna look at what is righteous and pure. I surrender them because they don't belong to me anymore. They're yours. God, I surrender my mouth to you today. And I have many words to say, but help this mouth be one that builds up, not tears down in this home and outside this home. God, I surrender my heart to you. Have my whole heart today, God. Help me to trust you in my own fears again. And God, I surrender these feet to you. God, would you take them where you want and give me divine appointments with people that need your love? Guess what? My kids ain't perfect saints yet. We've had plenty of problems still. But the joy level is increasing. Because we're surrendering every day. We're surrendering our own flesh, our own desires, our own will, and saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. The joy level is rising in the house. And when we're tempted 
throughout the day, we come back and say, no, I made a decision at the beginning of the day, surrender to you today. So I'm coming back to the altar. Lord, I see that impure thing over there. Lord, that's not mine to look at because these are your eyes. God, I want to say this thing to that person in traffic. Lord, this mouth is yours. Bless the person. <laughs> Strengthen them. Fill them today. All of a sudden, I got a heart for that person in traffic that cut me off, right? Lastly, what was Paul's motive in surrender? It was joy. Paul said, convinced of this, I know that I'm going to remain on this earth and continue with you. I'm, I'm not going to leave yet, Paul's saying. I'm going to stay on earth. Why? Because of your progress and your joy in the faith. That you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming again. Paul chooses to surrender his life again and again. Why? Because there's more joy. We surrender because there's more joy ahead, both for us and everyone around us. When you surrender and I surrender, we get joy and they get joy. Joy is a great reason to surrender. And Paul here is not apologetic about it. It says that Paul said, convinced of this, I'll surrender. Convinced of this, I'm going to remain. What was Paul convinced about? He was convinced about who God is. That if he surrenders, God will deliver. Paul was convinced that God is his shepherd. Paul convinced that Jesus is his savior. Paul was convinced that his sin had been forgiven, past, present, and future. Paul was convinced that he was a new person in Christ. Paul was convinced that God will work all things together for the good of those who love him in Christ Jesus. Paul was convinced that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Paul was convinced that if God did those miracles yesterday, he can do it again tomorrow. Paul was convinced that God is a provider. If he provided yesterday, he'll do it again today, and he'll do it again tomorrow. Paul was convinced that his grace is sufficient in his weakness. Paul was convinced that God had anointed him for a purpose. Paul was convinced that God put the same spirit that raised Jesus for the dead in him. Paul was convinced in the reality of heaven. Paul was convinced that God was with him on earth. Paul was convinced of truth, and we see it in his writings again and again. Now, I'm not just trying to hype you up, but what you're feeling in the room is faith when we believe the truth. And what I'm telling you is simple scripture. Paul knew that God is good and that God had called him, and because he knew it, he could surrender. And until you and I are convinced that God is good, and are willing to stand on that truth, we will struggle to surrender. And I, to this day, at times still struggle to surrender because I know my plans to prosper myself and not to harm myself. And God's got his own plans. And I have to come back to that truth and reconvince myself every day. The other thing we're doing, we're looking in, in our prayer time as a family, we're looking up. And we start our time and saying, God, you're our father. And you're gonna lead me today. God, you're my shepherd. And you're good. I get the kids. Kids, say it out loud. You've got to remind yourself who God is going to be to you today, right? They're learning to just stand on the truth, to declare who God is. Paul knew that God is good, and therefore he could surrender. And the more we know that God is good, the more we'll want to surrender because we'll have seen the fruit of our surrender time and time and time again. You see, 
Jesus said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I came that you may have life and life more abundantly. How does Jesus give life? Christ's death gives us eternal life, and our death allows us, our, our surrender death allows us to enter into that life on earth. Joy is on the other side of surrender. As Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when you find it, he's willing to sell everything and surrender everything because the joy of that treasure was greater than every other thing. So a couple questions as we respond. Ultimately, what I want to invite us to do is to take some time and just focus our eyes on the goodness of God. And from that place, surrender. Some questions that maybe kind of lead us through that. Where in your life are you needing some more joy? Maybe you're feeling far from God. Maybe you're feeling anxious. Maybe you feel overwhelmed. I know I got to this weekend of like, man, I feel way behind, and I'm feeling a little overwhelmed by that. I got some stuff. Sorry if I hadn't gotten back to a few over text because I'm a little behind. I've had to surrender that to God this weekend. Were you needing some more joy? Secondly, are you willing to surrender this area of your life to obtain more, to exchange this stress or whatever to obtain more the glory of God? And what promise might God give you in that surrender? So what I want to invite us to do, band, if you want to come on up. I want to invite us just to focus on him. Maybe in that specific area from those questions, but just to focus on him and to come and surrender.